0: Whatever space you want to be in is your space. Like, you are in the right place. You deserve to be where you want to be. And if you want to help, if you want to resist, no one should stop you from being there. And you should resist anyone who does.
1: Welcome to our podcast series, Resistance in Colour. We explore resistance as the way that we fight the challenges, structures that negatively affect spheres of our mental, social and physical health. We hear from a host of BIPOC voices of community members featuring activists, healers, organizers, students. We will engage in how we resist, find solidarity, and gain insight on how to cope within our own bodies. The series features stories of incredible resilience focused on the healing of both individuals and communities as an active form of resistance. This podcast series has been made possible by the Fund for Safe Communities grant of the Minneapolis Foundation Tanami Minnesota's Multicultural Youth Advisory Board. Welcome and thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of Resistance in Color. Our guest today is Natasha, who goes by the pronouns she, her, hers. She's a graduate of the University of Minnesota, where she studied political science, economics, and public health. And throughout her time in college, she not only participated in student government, but she also entered for county government and was part of congressional campaigns. She's currently working as a diversity and inclusion specialist at the Intercultural Mutual Assistance Association, IMAA, which primarily serves the immigrant and refugee communities. She'll be moving to Boston in August and will be pursuing a master's degree in public health at Boston University, where she hopes to concentrate in human rights and social justice, as well as health policy and law. She would like to organize and do grassroots level work in the future and work specifically with children addressing adverse childhood experiences. Thank you for joining us. I am Pere. I'm Sian. Thank you for joining us. Natasha, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great. Super. Um, one of the first questions we like to ask um, and I think maybe listeners have had this question so many times, but I think it's so nice to hear it from different people as well. What would you define resistance and color
0: as? That is honestly a great question. Um, I think one thing that I definitely directly tie it with, um, in addition to resilience, which I know we'll talk about later, um, is privilege. So even though... uh, all of us on this call are people of color and I am a woman of color. I feel as though because of the experiences I've had and because of the opportunities I've had, it's I have a role in helping other folks who don't have those same opportunities. Um, I think a lot of times when we're helping marginalized communities, they'd rather look to other folks of color than uh, their white counterparts just because, there's that level of trust there and that level of understanding. And I've been able to see that throughout college, even before college, and then also in my job right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think with resistance comes, first of all, that recognition of the privileges you have, the platform you have. And then from there, um, doing the best you can to help other folks of course while also taking care of yourself
1: I like how you said recognition of privilege because and, and I think it's important for everyone to realize it's a process it's not like an immediate oh wow this is my privilege. sometimes it's a process and it takes a while so oh cool definitely
2: also to the listeners we also talked very briefly about privilege hey. and checking your privilege <laughs> on our last episode with Maria so if you haven't go check that out too as well um, in Going back to resistance and color, can I ask like, what are the most important topics or issues within that that you feel the most passionate about? I know you mentioned that you want to do like health policy and law. Can you go more in depth? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I guess one thing that I
0: realized while going throughout college is that all of the things in which I am interested, so political science, economics, public health, all of those things intersect. And at the very root of that is public health. So that's why I decided to pursue um, graduate school uh, for that. And I think what I've realized is important to me is the way... I feel like I've always thought about um, how other people are living and how they're feeling. Mm. Um, I think I think people don't understand kind of the emotional toll, the mental toll that all of that takes on you in addition to being in poverty. So mm. I really want to focus on working with children because, first of all, children are absolute joys. Um, <laughs> I feel like they remind me of why I want to exist on this earth. Yes. Um, and I think that we also don't pay them enough attention. Mm-hmm. Um, children are overlooked in every situation, every social political issue that arises. No one's ever asking, well, what about the kids? How are the kids going to be impacted by this? And um, so starting even at the university level, a couple things that on which I focused were food insecurity, uh, which is really important because, again, everything intersects, yes. um, and if we think about it, children, as they're growing up, may struggle, they may not have a home, they may not have food, right? But that doesn't go away just because you go to college, Right. if you go to college. Right, right, right. Um, and I think as soon as you turn 18, people view you in a completely different light, mm-hmm. when even, even the person sitting next to you in class may not know Um, what they're going to eat next. Uh, A lot of times going to the U of M, we live in a food desert. Mm -hmm. uh, So there's not really affordable uh, groceries around there. Mm -hmm. And you'll see people depending on McDonald's for their meals every day, which obviously is not great and doesn't help. Right. And so and then I think with that issue with uh, the housing crisis in which we reside with everything happening. I think about how people of color are impacted specifically mm. um, Because at the end of the day everyone else Even people of color who have had the privileges they've had including myself yes. Have benefited from a system that lies and depends on the backs of people of color so um, if we take a look at the you again um, the right surrounding the U is um, you have like a large Somali population. You have mm-hmm. a lot of communities of color um, who live around that. But for, even though that's the case, the question that I was always asking was, why is it that those folks don't have the ability to attend the university? Right. So, yeah, exactly. So um, this was something that I tackled a lot. And I think, again, it intersects with, I mean, frankly, money. Uh, and food and how that relates to food, how that relates to tuition, how yes. that relates to housing, and also just simply wanting to live a comfortable life. Mm. I think everyone deserves to have nice things. Um, and so we're closely, uh, we're we're trying, I think we're all trying to fight for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I specifically want to focus on children in the future. And I think that um, Boston University was actually one of the only universities I saw that had a human rights and social justice program uh, for public health. So that got me really excited. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, health policy and law will complement that well, because I feel like for me to be effective in whatever I do in the future, I want to have the best understanding of the policies and laws in place and how those can change. Um, And with that caveat of a lot of times the system in which we are and, well, honestly, all of the time, the system in which we are currently yes. uh, residing and um, the laws that are in place aren't equitable in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, personally, I think that a lot of it needs to be dismantled um, or all of it does. <laughs> but um, I think in the meantime, it's also important to understand where where the inequities lie what exactly the issues are right now so that doesn't happen again.
1: Wow. I don't think... uh, I wish the listeners could have, like, a snippet. You should see, as you were speaking, Sian was very animated. She was snapping. She was feeling um, the words as you were speaking.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Thank you so much for the support. And I'm glad that you both agree. Yes. Uh, I think... I would hope that most people would, but apparently or unfortunately, human basic human rights have always been a point of contention. Right. Uh, right. So right <laughs> here we
1: are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. I think even the recognition of, as you're talking about all these things in relation to public health, and I think when people think about health, they just think you know COVID. They think a disease. And a vaccine—that's what people associate with health. But then being able to zoom that out and say, "Hey, it also means where? What's your environment? Um, is it a food desert? Are there green spaces? Do you have walkability? Is it accessible? Do you have hospitals you know, there's, there's so much. There's all these layers um, about that mm-hmm. um, that I think sometimes people don't think about. So thank you for reminding everybody to have a holistic picture of what yeah. things on the
0: ground look like. Definitely, definitely. And I think it honestly is hard to have that picture just because of what is shown to us, right? So (laughs) the media and education (laughs) uh, and people in power definitely gatekeep a lot of this from us. Um, And a lot of things may seem unintentional, but they are. Um, And a lot of it is rooted in history. So I think public health is the perfect to understand all of that because it talks about those roots like it's always asking why how did this happen right instead of and then you solve the problem Mm -hmm. because I feel like that background understanding is helpful in being in a more being implementing a more equitable um, environment for everyone and also just keeping everyone healthy whatever that means to them Um, whether it be you know, like financially healthy, uh, physically healthy, mentally healthy, mm. um, emotionally, all of the different aspects. Yeah, yeah.
1: And like you're saying, even one of the conversations that I guess um, the past year has allowed people to have or maybe highlighted a lot of is a lot how a lot of systems are rooted in systemic racism like you're like like you're saying and so sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll think we're making a solution like making juneteenth a public holiday but it's like a it's a band-aid but the wound is still Mm -hmm. over there and you've not done anything Mm -hmm. to the wound so you you think you're fixing Mm -hmm. something but you really are not fixing the Mm -hmm. root of the problem like you're like you're saying Huh, well.
0: Yeah, that actually reminds me, um, I think another part of resistance is healing, hmm. and when you talk about how the wound is still there, it's like, I don't think any of us will ever perfectly heal from any of the injustices that have occurred over however many centuries, right? Um, and of course, they may impact certain communities more than others, Um, especially if we talk about Juneteenth and the Black community. But when we think about the fact that people won't even let these communities heal, people won't even let us heal before another injustice occurs, Mm. before um, euphemizing everything that's happening, you know? Like, um, with Juneteenth, it's like, okay, that's great. And when I first saw that, I was like, wow, I'm surprised because I didn't even think that would happen yes but then you start thinking about it more and you're like okay where are the reparations (laughs) right where's the stability where is you know the lack of policing and police brutality Mm. um slash of course it should not be there at all yes um and i feel like with every day it it the injustices just become more stark or they increase and it's really hard. Like you gave us this holiday, which of course most people don't have off. And especially those who are um, in the black community. Yes. Um, but then do you even understand like what we're celebrating? Do you even understand mm. why it's so important for the black community to celebrate black joy and mm. healing? Um, and of course, like I can only speak for that as an outside perspective, mm. but that's just what I've been reading and thinking about myself over the past couple days. Yeah. So
1: just going back to maybe your undergrad experience and sharing a little bit about um, some of the work that you did. Um, and maybe you can share it. I, I'm, I'm saying this because I've, I've read some of her bio, and you might be able to share that with our listeners too. You did a lot of amazing resistance work during your undergrad. Could you talk to us about some of the highlights of your work um, and why these were important engagements for you, especially thinking about um, engaging on like a civil level, um, it, uh, whether that meant in school at the U or outside in Um, the political environment Mm
0: -hmm. definitely well thank you for that and um, I think I if I were to look back now at my college experience which just ended last year but even then I'm like high school me would have never expected that I would have the opportunity to do so many of these things and be a part of so many movements Mm. and I think what I knew was going into college, I was like, it's not about um, where you go, it's about what you do when you're there, right? So I knew that by going to the U, um, there were so many different things uh, that I needed to use to my advantage and to grow and to learn and to help other people. And I think entering a lot of those spaces... Um, I definitely made sure to keep myself in check and not compromise my integrity because a lot of people can be in those spaces for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So right away, I got involved with uh, the university's student government and there were, there are definitely ups and downs to that and definitely a lot of ways that even student government can improve um, in terms of how accessible they are to different communities and again, communities of color. Yes. Uh, But I, I wanted to focus on a lot of things that, that impacted those communities most, right? So that started out with um, food insecurity. And then I also uh, joined my colleges, the College of Global Arts. I joined their student board and we did a lot of sense of belonging type work. Mm. And later on, we even implemented some uh, diversity events as well. Um, to have folks come and discuss these different topics Mm -hmm. but one thing that we noticed through doing this is at the end of the event you're looking around and you think the people who need to be here and need to be discussing this aren't here right so at the end of the day it would have just been you know board members and people of color but where are all the white folks Mm -hmm. um who need to be in the space who need to learn how to be an ally because a lot of our discussions were about allyship Mm -hmm. right and so this was kind of a challenge going forward from that point but as i got involved even with organizing in general um i was a part of the rename reclaim initiative at the u of m and Uh, Those listening may have heard of it uh, because it kind of made a big splash uh, in the Midwest, especially because a lot of other universities around the country were doing it at the same time. Mm -hmm. But there are buildings on our campus that are named after racist leaders. Um, And it's it's honestly disheartening to think that they were there in the first place, but then to name buildings after them, and you don't even realize. But thankfully, there was an exhibit that actually on the U of M campus that actually uh, demonstrated all of this. So uh, we brought it all the way up. We did protests on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, We brought it to all the way to the Board of Regents, but the makeup of the Board of Regents is uh, mostly old white men. So (laughs) we left there feeling discouraged. Um, And of course, this is still something that I'm going to care about, not only at the U, but throughout life in general, like why would you name something after someone without like looking into their past? And also, if you know that they made questionable decisions, like why would you do that? You know, especially when it's a building housing so many different communities and it's supposed to be for all students. Yes. Um, And it just, it hurts a little bit. I worked on um, Ilhan Omar's congressional campaign and that kind of sparked me into getting more involved in, like, community organizing. Okay. Um, so I focused a lot on marginalized folks, uh, young and marginalized folks, so making sure that students knew where they could vote, uh, making sure that students knew what their rights were. Um, and this was really rewarding because you, first of all, you meet so many people and you're scheduling door knocks and rallies and uh, speaking at them, too, and mm-hmm. getting to – and you actually see like people's eyes light up when you tell them like hey you have the opportunity to do this and they ask you i didn't know that that was happening i didn't even know that this election was happening thank you for telling me and we would do what we could to take people to the polls um get everyone on board and we increased voter turnout by uh over 100 percent, which is amazing um and And even the friends I've made through that, the people I've met has made everything so much better. So a lot of these folks also joined me in being on the Coalition for Progressive Change. Um, And we did a lot of events surrounding like immigration and housing rights and uh, things like that. And it was really, it was a really good year. And I just hope that type of organizing and advocacy work uh,
2: continues it's so empowering to like me just like as an individual and as a student that people like you are out there trying to make these happen and initiate for us for people like me who don't know how to organize or don't know how to Mm -hmm. um like do a formal organize organized um Mm -hmm. resistance yeah so Thank you, and we appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate
0: both of you as well. And honestly, one thing that I will say is that coming to college, I didn't know about any of this either. So to anyone listening who's interested in doing this type of work, um, it really just takes getting involved in whatever capacity. And a lot of times marginalized communities are shut out of these spaces and that's definitely intentional whether it be on a subconscious level or a conscious level Mm. so if you if you have the energy just put yourself out there um and someone is going to see you and someone is going to hold your hand and guide you to what you will later on do like that i wouldn't be here um without all these other people um and i wouldn't have be here without the opportunity to even attend a university, attend the university of Minnesota. So I just always think about how grateful I am to have those mentors and to also be mentors for others. Now that I can be. Yeah. One thing that is really important to me is, um, talking about like health and health insurance and mental health Mm. on, uh, university campuses. So we did a lot of events, um, through the cla student board regarding mental health we had an entire campaign for it called pledge to prioritize um and what frustrates me the most because i went through this personally is yes. boynton mental health can be a wonderful resource if they had the funding right if they had the resources mm. um so like themselves so there aren't enough um there aren't enough therapists, social workers there to be with all the students how of, how as often as they need to be met. Mm-hmm. And on top of that too, one thing that frustrates me is in general with health at Boynton, not all insurances are in network. So this is uh... something that I wanna focus on like even on a larger scale. Like I just want all universities to have this and I'm definitely going to look into it when I go to grad school. But my insurance, which I am from Minnesota. I was born and raised here. Um, I have Mayo Clinic insurance uh, and through Medica, and that wasn't in network at the U of M. So I ended up having to pay so much out of pocket mm. just for having one initial meeting with a therapist, right? Mm. And then I had to go off campus for that and of course we have great transportation but it's like now i'm going off campus because one it's my insurance is of network two it's not like i could even get an appointment within the next three months with anyone at point and it's not any of their faults it's just the fact that that is so underfunded compared to other things that we have like whether it be athletics or you name it Mm. um i think with how much Renovating the U is doing, I feel like they could spare maybe a little bit of money to, and by a little bit, I mean a lot, but like <laughs> I mean, they have a lot, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> to help students more. Like, they keep asking us, like, what do you need? Like, what do students need? And it's like, they don't listen. And of course, we keep pushing, but that's yes. exhausting, yes. right? Especially if you're going through things yourself. Like, mm. I definitely, um, I shared this in my little bio but i struggle with uh depression anxiety eating disorder myself mm-hmm. and so experiencing all of that while also organizing Organize. being in the resistance work and going to school yes i there's sometimes when i would just be crumpled on the floor right and and not everyone not everyone has to be as resilient as I was or and I'm not saying that I was the most resilient person I know people who are on the go like more than I am or all the time Mm. but none of us should have to be I shouldn't have had to have those experiences right and but it's like students are never prioritized Mm -hmm. and it's like what are we even doing here then you know um it's it's really frustrating at times but there are those small wins and i think that's what we can take for now
1: yeah (laughs) you're saying so many
0: different layers of things and i'm like okay stop okay no oh no no stop (laughs) yeah yeah there's again there's a lot of layers to everything so it's really it's really tough because it's like if you care about one thing then it's it it's directly linked to everything else yes you know (laughs) so it's like you then you care about everything right like you can't afford this because you didn't get this, or and it just keeps going back again. Right. It's all cyclical, um, which is why it's frustrating when people say uh, like they're you know, fiscally conservative and like socially liberal, whatever that means, or <laughs> say like oh like I, it's horrible. Like what happened to you know what happened in terms of George Floyd being murdered, mm-hmm. but then also saying that also putting cops like on a pedestal right um and you can all everyone probably listening um can probably see uh, what my viewpoints are and what my <laughs> actions are but i promise you that i can back them up yeah. and that i've reached this point in my life mm. and these viewpoints for a reason mm.
2: This also goes back to what we were talking about with multiple episodes in terms of intersectionality. Mm. Like, you can't take things apart because, like Natasha said, everything is intertwined so greatly. Mm. Yeah. And if you say you care about one thing, but not the other one, which are directly related, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Mm. And that's why um, sometimes you would get pushed on your perspectives, but... Mm. Check your privileges
1: again. I wanted to just kind of echo some of the things that you said that were also said in our previous podcast. If you haven't listened to our podcast with Maria, you should go and listen to it because we did speak a little bit about activism too. And she um, described something at the beginning when she said learning the science of what activism looks like. And she said... Mm -hmm a lot of it was about finding your voice and 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 using learning how to use your voice uh, for things that matter to you but then also how do you as in your role as in organizing and as an activist then teaching other people how to care and other people how to think about the things that you're Mm -hmm. seeing you know you've you like have this moment and you've been enlightened about all the layers and and the systemic Problems that are are causing food insecurity, for example, how do Mm -hmm. you then make it make sense to someone else? Because you know how sometimes something makes so much sense in your head, but you need to be able to convey to someone else so that they Mm -hmm. see the steps. They see how this is connected to this thing. And then this really matters to this thing. And I think that's -hmm. a a big role. And I don't think we give um, organizers and activists enough credit for really making us think and making us think about, oh, wow, they've put in this sta- this statement, Black Lives Matter, what does that mean? Mm. How how do we think about it? How do we care about it? From your perspective in your work with um, organizing at different levels, organizing for people to get out and vote, to use their right to make a choice that could affect different layers of their lives, to mm. push for institutions to regard students' voices, in thinking Mm -hmm. about all these ways that you've been able to organize and be part of kind of making narratives and movements, what do you think has been one of the lessons that, or some of the lessons that you have taken away as how Mm -hmm. to convince other people, how to make other people care about the things that matter to you?
0: Definitely. Yeah, that is a great question. And, you know, I think it's still an uphill battle, even for those of us who, Uh, talk to folks all the time and I think when you ask that question, three words come to mind. One is intention, one is consumption, and one is accessibility. Okay. So to start with accessibility, um, a lot of folks, friends of mine, even if they don't know me super well or anything, will come to me and ask me to help explain what's going on to them Mm -hmm. because I work really hard to make myself accessible I work really hard to be to practice kindness which doesn't mean being nice to everyone and you know giving everyone a ton of love or all of your energy um, which I still struggle with of course um, if they're not nice to you like of course it also has to do with integrity and having respect for yourself and for others Mm -hmm. Um, but I try to be as open as possible because I know that I would rather have them come to me and understand it than inflict harm on someone else. Mm. Um, And again, that goes back to privilege, of course. But I think I try to get to know people as people. And that doesn't mean that I don't see, like, who they are, like, what they believe. I mean, if there's someone who's really conservative and who voted a certain way or... Who says certain things or pre- perpetuates certain rhetoric? Um, I you have to like pick and choose your battles as yeah. well, right? But if it's if it's friends of mine who who agree with everything but aren't quite there yet, don't understand, you know, what abolition entails, or don't understand um, what universal healthcare entails, or honestly anything, um, I talk to them about it, and I think. You have to, if possible, ensure that folks feel comfortable coming to you, mm-hmm. because honestly, um, I'm going to call out kind of the organizing space, the activism space, um, even like the left leaning progressive space uh, for not being The most accessible or inclusive at times. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, there are times when I feel shut out from certain things because Mm -hmm. I feel like I may not know enough, or every little thing that I'm going to do is wrong. Mm -hmm. When it's like to what, at what cost, or to what extent, right? Like we're not going to do everything perfectly. And I feel as though if someone acknowledges their mistakes, um, depending on what they are, right? Like we're not going to excuse like racists or Uh, rapists or anything like that Mm -hmm. but um, it's like everyone's just so negative and making fun of everyone all the time Mm -hmm. and it's like so exhausting to for that for that type of like for that cycle to occur while also fighting for humanity you know Um, so that kind of goes into consumption Mm -hmm. so I think I know that I have an echo chamber. Uh, We all do, right? Like when I go on Twitter, most of the things I'm seeing are things that I believe. I'll be liking like every tweet, you know? Um, But I think we also have to pay attention to what other folks' echo chambers are, what they're consuming. Um, I think, you know, sending them book suggestions or articles or something like that, when you have the energy and time, of course, this is not on you completely like folks can also just click on google and do a little search but (laughs) apparently that's too hard for some people google Um, is free
1: somebody said that in another yeah yeah. google is free
0: (laughs) exactly um so with that just focusing on like okay why is this person why does this person think this way Hmm. it's because they are surrounded by this um which is where like socialization and even if that's why you start kids at a young age right like that's why i want to focus on working with children so much because they are so impressionable above anyone else. Mm -hmm. And what they see and what they hear is going to directly impact how they are. Um, And sometimes it takes college for people to realize that. Mm -hmm. But at that point, it could be too late, you know, Um, whether it's an election that passes or another tragedy that occurs. Um, So I think, we all could do a better job of focusing on what we're consuming, which then goes into intention, right? So I talk about this a lot, even at work, but even in the job that I have now, even with all the work that I do, even with the classes and being in school, all of that, um, we all get into routines. And at the end of the day, even if you enjoy what you're doing, even if you enjoy organizing, enjoy the activism, enjoy your job, um, you it's still an obligation, right? So you go every day and you do the same things and you go home. But what are you doing outside of that? Mm. Um, so what are you consuming outside of that? Yeah. What are To whom are you talking outside of that? Yeah. So I just, I feel like my word of the year, honestly, is intention just because I've just been thinking about that so much recently. And I'm like, honestly, there's so many things that I think or do And I don't even know why. (laughs) And... Or it's even like... If we think about social media... I'll sit there... scrolling. and I'll be like... I hate this. Like, I hate how it's making me feel. Yes. But it's also... But I also could be intentional about... Not going on it. Right? Or taking breaks from it. Or... If I want to do something for myself... Right. But I keep pushing it off. Or completing a task. It's all intention. So... I think I think it's important to, of course, focus on, like, intent versus impact. But anyone who shows up and, again, since you were accessible, they show up to you and they're like, how can I help? Yeah. Um, they're there for the right reasons.
2: Mm. And
0: they want to get involved. And even if they're not at first, maybe there's a way that you could convince them. And you'll know with time. Like, if someone is adding a lot of negativity or toxicity to a space, right. by all means, remove yourself from that situation. But I think, I think you have to give people the chance to practice intention, mm. which we all forget to do. Mm.
1: As you're saying this, I'm realizing how much there is constantly, how much there is to learn. One of the things that are coming off to me, as, as you're saying, as you're speaking, it's the, it's, we're constantly learning, even in the spaces of doing the work, even in mm-hmm. thinking about, you talked about even being empathetic in those spaces about mm-hmm. what we're doing and, and how we're doing it, making mistakes, we're constantly even learning how to better organize, how to better advocate, how to better share this information, how to better make other people care. Some people are like, you have to reach the standard. Like there's a there's a standard to the mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes time to get the standard. Of the work. It takes time mm-hmm. to learn how to do the work and say, oh, this is how better to communicate this. Mm-hmm. This is how to say this so that it makes more sense. And, and and I hear you when you're talking about inaccessible spaces because those do exist. And I think it it, it does become a deterrent for lots of people and people who might be listening mm-hmm. and thinking, yeah, I can't do that work because I don't know enough. I mean, I'm just. I'm just now starting, I'm just now, I don't know enough to be able to participate because they're Mm -hmm. gatekeepers who make it look like, okay, so you need to be able to attain this level before you can come in and join us Mm -hmm. when it shouldn't be like that.
0: It's really important to remind everyone that it is okay to not know everything. It's probably better that you admit that you don't than say that you do. And a lot of people will use, even people who talk about inaccessibility will use really complex jargon Mm. Um, and language, and it makes it seem like it's so important. They're saying some revolutionary thing when you can't even understand any of it. like who is this helping? right? Yes, um, So I think I get really frustrated with that. And I think as well, it's also a good way to hold yourself accountable to like we all aren't experts in everything because we don't have we don't have all the same experiences. We don't have all the same identities. Mm. So first of all, uplift people who have those identities if that's the case um if you if that's needed in that situation but i know personally for myself i can say right now something that i've thought about over the past couple of years um is thinking more about disability justice Mm. um so even though even though you know i have mental illnesses and others might as well we have to go a step beyond that like is your meeting space where you're Um, having this convention or conference or convening to talk about a rally or a protest or whatever it is, is that accessible to folks who are disabled? Um, Is the event or the protest itself accessible to folks who are disabled? Mm. They, more than anyone, I feel like, take the brunt of a lot of things. Um, And there's so many countless stories of about how they're treated in a lot of spaces, but also on if they want to be on the front lines as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to recognize. And then, of course, within that space, too, how how abilities or disabilities are seen in different communities, right? Yeah. So uh, in, in the Indian community, for example, I know that there's a stigma around mental illness everywhere, mm-hmm. but specifically mental illness and mental health in the Indian community and um, I think a lot of other Asian communities it's pretty it's pretty tough it's pretty bad um, to this day and that's part of that's part of the challenges that I've seen and my friends have seen as well Mm -hmm. but but that's okay you know it's it's okay to acknowledge that that's the case and instead of sugar coating it or brushing it under the rug like we need to bring every single thing out um from the weeds and say like hey we're not doing a good job of this we don't yeah. this building only has stairs or um why do we look at that person differently just because they may be um neurodiverse right mm-hmm. so i don't know it's just it's really interesting because the same people who claim that will also be people who who make spaces inaccessible and say things where no one's going to understand what it means. Um, But just know that whatever space you want to be in is your space. Like, Mm. you are in the right place. You deserve to be where you want to be. And if you want to help, if you want to resist, no one should stop you from being there. And you should Mm. resist anyone who does. (laughs)
1: Yes, part of resisting is resisting other people too. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, you spoke a little bit about um mental health, and maybe I would maybe want us to have a conversation about that, even as we begin to think about wrapping up this episode. Um, so for our listeners, our podcast is a product of the Multicultural Young Adults Board that is um. <laughs> that is um, a group of some brilliant young adults who wanted to bring awareness to the conversations around mental health that makes sense for cultural communities. You know that makes that that highlights um, what that looks like, or, or giving name, um, uh, so that there's a better understanding of mental health and just create awareness. And like you're talking about, how do we dismantle that stigma? Um, and also for. Healthcare practitioners and for professionals to be able to address it in cultural communities in a way that makes sense for cultural communities, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And you shared a little bit about the challenges um, um, within your community specifically. Might you be able to highlight and maybe speak a bit more on maybe two specific things, um, the experiences within your identities and how they have shaped mm-hmm. your mental health during um, um, Your illness or even in the recovery processes um, of Mm -hmm. that and then what do you feel like is the biggest component or challenge within your community that you want um, Mm -hmm. to focus on
0: yeah oh my gosh I could say so much about all of that Um, but to put it succinctly I think I knew that I was struggling for a long time but I also was thinking about if I say this, how will it impact, you know, my family or others? And again, like, I have the most supportive family ever, um, and I love them. And, and the thing is, a lot of times in the Indian community, you'll internalize someone else's struggle, mm-hmm. right? And then that kind of comes out in the form of gaslighting and projecting. Mm-hmm. And we all we all are guilty of it. Like, I'm saying that I'm guilty of that myself. Um, so then you feel badly for telling someone that you're struggling and then it just makes everything worse right it just keeps building on top of each other and so when I went to college well I kind of had made the decision to myself that um, when I can afford it like I'm just going to go to therapy I'm going to do whatever I need to do so I'm just going to wait until I'm financially independent and can do that myself Mm -hmm. but here we are going through college and I had a great college experience um I have amazing friends but like obviously and the things that I were doing were obviously inspiring to me and I was growing so much and um all of that but it still just became worse and worse Mm -hmm. right and um I was in I've been in a few relationships um and all of my partners have been supportive um but I remember it really took uh, my one of my past partners to say, like, hey, like, you need to go to therapy. And I'm so glad that he said that. Um, and. And I also and it kind of was like, uh, we kind of teamed up on it because he also started going to um, and my partner right now, he is really supportive of everything. And he just wants me to do whatever I can to make sure that I am well, yeah. right. So there came a point when I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to go to therapy and I talked to my parents about it. um, And it's still a tough conversation to have. I don't really bring it up that often, but luckily I have other people in whom I can confide, right? Like whether they be my friends or my partner or whomever else, I have a blog as well. So I often am pretty vulnerable on there because I feel like someone needs to be or we're all going to feel alone, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I think, and I also take like antidepressants now and it's made everything so much better for me. Mm. And I I just wish, the one thing that I would tell the Indian community specifically is that one, don't minimize someone's struggle or someone's experiences. Um, I've been met with a lot of well we all get sad like we all do this mm. right um, and that isn't helpful even if someone is just sad yes, that wouldn't be helpful in that situation yes. like you should focus on what they're specifically yes. struggling yes. with and I think a lot of minimization occurs um, and then beyond that to just embracing it you mm. know like re- regardless of I feel like I so often have had to defend myself and say, like, look at all these things that I've accomplished. Like, I've done so much with my life and so I don't understand, like, why you think that everything is going wrong or that, you know, you can't... Yeah, just think that everything's going wrong or that you're worried and things like that. And I understand worry, but even if I hadn't done any of the things I've done, even if I were, you know, lying in bed every day... Mm. I would still deserve to be here I would still deserve to have folks who love me yes. and um, and you know my mom actually told me the other day she said that I am I would be proud of you even if you hadn't done any of the things that you've done mm-hmm. and that really means a lot right and so I think things have come a long way but that's because i've also grown more outspoken and not everyone has that energy it's also not on you to explain yourself which i'm also learning too um because i feel like i have to i always feel like i have to explain myself or like if i do something nice for myself i'm like okay i recognize my privilege in doing this and everyone's like we know that you do like it's okay you don't have to say that yes um but i just we've all been told to like feel so guilty about everything Mm. right Um, and, and it's, like, the one thing about which I don't want to feel guilty is my health. Mm. At the end of the day, like, that is the most important thing, and you can't tell me, like, it's the most important thing, and then also tell me, like, oh, like, this is costing so much money, or this isn't, I'm worried about this, like, you shouldn't be taking this, or you shouldn't be seeing this person. Yes. Um, and it's just really, it's a really hard balance, but I think... If you have people outside of your community, outside of your family, or even, you know, young people in my community are super super open about these things. So mm. talking to them, um, talking to other Indians, my other Indian friends, um, especially other Indian women has been really helpful. Um, mm. And there's like a lot of online spaces for that too. Um, so I think just find your safe place where you can go there and no one's gonna say anything yeah. um, about who you are and honestly I would. I think that a lot of folks um, like maybe like our parents generation could benefit from addressing their mental health mm. as well however that looks like for them um, so then we could all just stop projecting onto each other and pretending to that's part of the reason too why I started my blog I was like I don't want anyone to look at me or anyone else and think that I have it all together Mm. all the time. Right. And I always tell people, especially um, folks who just come into college and are saying like, Oh my gosh, I have to do all these things. Right. I'm just like, just know that you may think everyone's doing something, but everyone is also sacrificing something. Mm. So, so it's, it's just like, let's be transparent you know let's all come together of course only share what feels comfortable to you i'm not expecting anyone to like pour out their souls and of course there are a lot of things that i don't share publicly um but take some little steps like get out of your comfort zone so we can all just have larger zones right and (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's just really hard that we're still in a time where people are like oh like you have to like be quiet about this like hide this yeah whatever when a lot of times we're all going through we're all going through different things and all of our experiences are different um but everyone has hard stuff that happens in their lives you know not every day is going to be the best day ever Mm -hmm. um and i just wish that we would all start
1: Talking about that more, it's cool that you said that because in our last one of the episodes that we had, and if you remember, Cyan, one of the takeaways that we should all listen to each other. So now it's like a good reminder we are talking to one another, but even in that talking, that we are actively listening to what everyone else is it's is
2: saying. I remember, like one of my best friends, she loves her therapist. And the thing that her therapist told her that she told me when I was comparing myself with other struggles, like I was literally going like, "Oh, I don't have it as hard as other people do, mm-hmm. so I can't." Like, oh my be gosh, sad. I feel I can't, that. Yeah, I can't struggle. I can't like be sad for a day. <laughs> like I can't be unproductive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. to be like on the go every time because I have those privilege. Mm-hmm. But my friend told me that you can't compare struggles like even if literally two same struggles given to this like similar people they're going to react differently so you Mm -hmm. can't compare struggles you can't compare Mm -hmm. emotions you just have Mm -hmm. to let them be and support or get support however you need to regardless Mm -hmm. of what other people are doing so Mm -hmm. I really like the fact that you Natasha like brought that up and mm-hmm. just reminding everyone that everyone can't be happy all the time that's <laughs> mm-hmm. unrealistic it's true. and it's also really important to have representation of people with like disability or mental illnesses or neurodiversity that it's not mutually exclusive to be happy or to be successful or to be doing something great mm-hmm. and to have any of those like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think too. It's one thing that
0: I always tell people, and this is pretty much what I live by. I don't know. I don't remember when I heard it or saw it, but sometime when before I was eighteen, for sure, probably middle school or elementary school, um, is that everyone has a baby in the back seat. So there's this uh, video that they tell you about um, where if you're, and definitely they talk about it when driving too, um, when you're learning how to drive, but um, where a woman in front of you uh, is stopped at a light and they're not going and you're getting super frustrated and road rage and all of that. And then you realize that their baby was choking in the back seat. So I feel like we all have things that are going on, which is why it's important to be kind to people because everyone has a why right so this goes back to like the public health perspective and even even talking to folks who may not be fully on board with what you're doing yet everyone comes from a different experience um and even if they have similar experiences um they again react to things differently like you said and everyone has there's always a why to why they're doing a certain thing and you can Evaluate this on like a microscopic level, but also like globally as well. When you think about why um, a group of people reacts a certain way, it's probably because something happened to them first. You know, like yes. no one is just no one is just out here wreaking havoc or <laughs> or crying all the time or whatever it is. Um, something is always going on. No one is just stopped at a light when it's green. Mm. You know, um, so. Unless they are trying to be annoying. But in that case, they still have a why. Um, <laughs> so I think it's really important to realize that. And I feel like that's why so many people... I've been able to connect with so many people and be accessible. Is because I... And this is kind of what I was alluding to before. But I think about who they are as a person. What their experiences have been.
2: yeah,
0: And everything that I do. Every... Piece of advice that I give, every solution that I give, because I love solving problems, <laughs> um, is is based on who they are. Like it's very specific to who they are. Yeah. Um, so I focus on their feelings, their experiences. I remember like the people they mention, the dates that they mention, mm. um, and just try to do what I can with my heart, which is like what we all should be doing Are trying to do yeah and should be doing doing. um yeah and the other thing that i uh that reminded me um that i was reminded of was we also this could be a whole separate conversation as a lot of these things could be um but we also need to acknowledge first of all yes the accessibility of getting help in general Mm. um whether it be mentally or physically Mm. but also the fact that there is not a lot of diversity among therapists. Mm. Um, I, all the therapists that I've had in the past, and I don't currently have one, um, because I I just felt like I was paying for nothing, really, <laughs> even if they were nice. I'm like, they're nice, but like- We're not making progress. I, get, I yeah, like I just, I can help myself more than they are. And they were all white women. And one of the ones I had was she didn't, she, she rooted everything into me being Indian. Um, and it was really frustrating because there are so many things in my life that like being Indian is something that I love and I love my culture and it's a big part of me. But when I'm talking about something specific, why are you bringing up like me being Indian as a reason? Mm-hmm. Like why? Right um and then she didn't know who certain people were like um she didn't know who ilhan was or um tina smith and those were people like i was interning for smith at the time and i worked with Ilhan, which is why i brought them up and this person lives in the twin cities so and they're not like young or anything so i was just confused as to why like how do you not know Mm -hmm. any of this Mm -hmm. you know um and so I just felt like they weren't right. And then my second one, it just seemed like I was chatting with a friend. It really didn't nothing again revolutionary was said. But honestly, I feel like even if even if my therapist isn't Indian, I feel like if they're a woman of color, that would be amazing. Like that would already be ten steps ahead. Like I watch um TV shows and I see like the therapists that they have, or like people who play therapists in them, and I'm like oh, my God, they're saying so many amazing things. Like, why can't I find that in real life? Mm-hmm. You know, and in those cases, um, like, I don't know if you've seen... I think it's in the show Insecure, but... And if anyone hasn't seen it, you definitely need to watch it. It's amazing. Such an amazing show. But I think in that show, um, one of the characters goes to a therapist who's also a Black woman, and she's a Black woman, Um, And pretty much the entire cast is Black, which is amazing. Um, Black produced, Black written, Black led. Um, And I just felt like she was saying so many things that were so helpful to her situation and to being Black in particular. Um, And the same thing happened in another show that I watched called A Million Little Things, um, which is very mental health heavy. Mm. And I just think that it's so important. Like, why is that not the case? But of course... We need to diversify every sector, like, healthcare in general, education, all these different things. Yeah. Um, because then we tend to, like, internalize our values or our, or how not valuable we are. We tend to internalize the racism um, or the sexism or whatever it is. And it's... A lot of work needs to be done there. And I wish I could wave a magic wand and fix all of this, but... Don't feel. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just... Too Like, there's so many of us who are trying to save the world. And that's what kind of motivates me, too. Like, I'm like, okay, like, here's another day, Natasha. Like, let's wake up and save the world, right? Um, but... But we can't fix everything at once. Mm. Um... But the thing is, like, since we all are focusing on one specific thing, we all are collectively saving the world. Um, We all are collectively making each other's lives better, Mm -hmm. um, which is why community is so important in all of these different sectors.
1: Oh, so many nuggets and layers of of things that we've had in this conversation and I'm hoping listeners, I know if you feel like you missed some of that I hope at least you got the plug for the good shows you know and things <laughs> to be thinking about definitely thank you Natasha for lending your voice uh, sharing your insight on different facets um and layers of things some of which we've touched a bit of and others like you're saying, could be a whole separate conversation. So Mm -hmm. thank you for -hmm. for being here today with us. Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely. Thank you both for having me. Uh, It was a great conversation.
1: And we will see you all in our next episode. So stay tuned.
2: Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. All music loops used in this episode came from the song titled The Way, produced by Mike Lighty and made available through a Creative Commons license. Mike Leite's music can be heard online at soundcloud.com forward slash Mike Leite. Leite is spelled L-E-I-T-E. For information about the Creative Commons license and additional links to Mike's music, including the full version of the song, The Way, please see the podcast show notes for this episode.